So there's that screaming book in Harry Potter. Oh, you right. open up, you open it up, and it starts screaming at you. What do you do? You close, close the, the book. book. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thundercast. My name is Lucas. My name is Christian. And I'm Liam, here with another podcast that just talks about movies. A little bit more energy, Liam, a little more energy. <laughs> Hi, and I'm Liam, here with another podcast that just talks about movies. Right Energy's on. great, that the better? eyes are terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Lucas, I can see into your soul. I'm going to leave now. No. <laughs> like when I cut your dad's kidneys out last night. Oh, oh that's terrifying. Okay, he's save, old. He doesn't need them. Yeah, save that for <laughs> save that for the October episode, Liam. Come <laughs> and we are coming to you live from King Arthur's Round Table, except we've modified it to make it more triangular to fit our aesthetic. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There's only three of us. <laughs> we don't really need anybody else in this triangle. Yeah, if anyone else comes uh, and and as a guest, they just have to sit like off to the side somewhere. Well, we'll, we'll like pull up a chair at like one of the one of the corners. They have I to. Hope. They actually have to pay to be in the triangular table, and then mm. whoever they bring in, they have to pay that person, and then they yeah. have to pay us a commission for you know. It's yeah. it's a upside down triangle scheme is what I like yeah. to call. It. <laughs> are they gonna? If they show up, are they gonna ask one of us to duel? Yes, <laughs> like Maybe. Yu-Gi-Oh style too, though. And uh, we are we are sponsored today, as as usual, by our patrons. Y'all will get a shout out at the end of uh, the episode. And uh, today we are going to be talking about a movie that just came out. Uh, the first movie that uh, we all, all the three of us, saw together uh, since uh, since things have been opening up a little more. Since the rise of uh, Skywalker. We're be... Yeah, since the rise no, of Skywalker. No, I saw a movie yeah. with Lucas. I, well, I mean, the together. three of us oh. together. Yeah. Uh, we, we saw The Green Knight, which we'll be talking about uh, that during the main segment. But first, we have The Ingestion. That's Who wants right. to go first? Uh, oh, that depends. Did you actually watch anything this week, Lucas? <laughs> I did. I what did a, watch something. What a jab, Liam. <laughs> um, I'll go first. I couldn't resist. So I have a few things that I've seen, uh, two of which I saw with Liam. Um, but uh, the other three, uh, or I got, yeah, other three I did not see with anyone else. Uh, well, I mean, I did see them with other people, but not with you two. Uh, so I saw a movie called Werewolves Within, um, which is a werewolf movie, uh, if that was not obvious. Uh, I thought it, it was about vampires. Yeah, you'd think, right? It's directed I thought it was by, about mummies. No. <laughs> it's directed by a guy named Josh Rubin, uh, and it stars Sam Richardson. Oh. Yeah, do you know Josh, Josh, Josh Rubin? Yeah, Josh Rubin is in the College Humor guy, right? Yep. Yep. So nice. he, he directed this movie. Uh, it stars Sam Richardson, who is one of the two guys from D- the Detroiters, and he's also on Tim Robinson's I Think You Should Leave. Uh, and then it also has a woman named v- Melina Van Trump, who is most notably uh, the AT&T girl, uh, <laughs> but is now making a crack at being a major motion picture star. And it's good. It's based off of a video game by Ubisoft uh, that's called Werewolves Within, or Ubisoft, or whatever fuck you want to pronounce it. And uh, basically, it's mafia or werewolf that's the game that's the video game you know basically where it's like if there are the mm-hmm. three of us one of us is a werewolf and the other two have to figure yeah. out who it is that's the movie that's the video game i should say the movie however is a little bit more gruesome uh it's it's quite funny it's also really short it's only 97 minutes uh so it's a quick watch and uh i don't know i, I found it really entertaining and i think everybody was doing a really great job um uh, 
what's his name again? Uh, Sam Richardson is just, he's really good at playing the good guy. He's just like, just like such a nice man. (laughs) (laughs) He's so nice and he doesn't deserve any of the shit that happens to him. But he gets all mixed up in this werewolf uh, mishap and then inside of this small town and things kind of unfold from there. Um, I saw a movie that came out a long time ago. And by a long time ago, I mean 1990. So what is that? 31 years ago. And uh, is that my right on that? 31. Uh, Yeah. Yes. That is how time works. Uh, It's uh, arachnophobia. (laughs) Directed by Frank Marshall, who is known for producing these films. Hold on, right behind me. As uh, well as countless others. As well as countless others. Uh, mostly Spielberg uh, and Ambul- Amblin um, films. Uh, but it's a movie about spiders, basically. That's what it's about. Uh, the small town in California gets overrun by these spiders that have bred. Well, the main spider went and bred with a house spider. And then they created these like super deadly spiders that if they bite you, you're dead within like... 30 seconds and uh the movie stars uh, jeff daniels and john goodman are there and uh it's such a romp it's it's a movie that just earns its final act in in such a like it it's slow the movie's just a very slow slow burn and then when you finally get to the end and you get to see jeff daniels fight a giant spider but the giant spider is only as big as my face it's so earned it's just like like by the time you get to the point where where they're actually fighting, you're just like, holy shit! Have we like is this that's the spider? That's the spider. But at the same time, you're like, that's the spider right there, motherfucker. And they named, <laughs> they, they named the spider Big Bob after um, Robert Zemeckis before the movie, like nice. while in production and whatnot. But it's good. It's it's a movie I watched a lot when I was a kid, and uh, you know, kind of grew up with it. I uh, didn't remember a lot of it, so that's, I shouldn't say I grew up with it, but just like wanted to revisit it. So I did, and I really enjoyed it. Um, nice. It's funny. I was talking to uh, Christian about it, and I was like, oh, I know I saw Venice as a kid. And then it turned out that I was remembering a completely different movie involving spiders. Yes. Liam was thinking about Eight Legged Freaks with, uh, mm. um, what's his name? David Arquette. David Arquette. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then I saw Jungle Cruise with. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt. And that movie is so harmless. It's like, it's not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just like the mummy meets uh, Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's like, that's what the movie is. And a lot of people have compared those. That to- sounds sounds like a great time. Yeah. I've been told that uh, like, essentially the setup is very much like, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, the mummy where like a girl and her brother go- want to go somewhere dangerous. They recruit uh, a tough guy. Yep. And they encounter uh, zombie pirate warrior people. That is the movie. That is that is it. Yes, that's it. That's that's the premise. And basically, they have to go and save some. It it is pirates. You know how in pirates they have to go and get the black pearl, and then like that's what makes it so that like Jack isn't cursed anymore or whatever. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen Curse of the Black. The pearl. The, the, the that's that. I think that's the the, the black pearl is the ship, right? And the the treasure of Isla Muerta, I think it's called. Yeah. But they have to get that medallion or whatever anyway. It's it's the same thing, but in this one, they have to go get a leaf off a tree. Um, (laughs) So basically the same movie. But it It also sounds like uh, that uh, Anaconda movie I watched on Netflix. With (laughs) J-Lo? No, there's some uh, other there's some movie with a bunch of unknown dudes where they try to go into the Amazon to look for uh, some flower that apparently extends life. And uh, they uh, they go off course. Isn't that the one with John Voight and and Jennifer? uh... No, they aren't in that movie. It's all nobodies. 
Oh. Uh, the only per the only name I could think of is Morris Chestnut. <laughs> yeah, is uh is um fuck I forgot his name. <laughs> the guy in uh, in, in uh this Bangle Denhouse. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> no, Bangle no, Denhouse, he's yeah. not it. He did it. <laughs> there was one Bangle's point where there. I thought a guy. Bangle Denhouse is not a nobody. <laughs> that's yeah. right. No, he is he is not a nobody. <laughs> um, How did you even forget his name? Shame I, on you. I know. It's because it's because I've been watching so much uh, so many con- so much content. Uh but yeah, so I I actually liked Jungle Cruise. It was just harmless and it was it was a fun little romp. Um, and then finally, the final two things that I watched, um, actually both with Liam, we'll talk about this first one because, um, we'll transition to the one we actually liked, but the first one that Liam and I saw together, and it was one of the first movies we actually saw back together in the theater. And that was M. Night Shyamalan's old. And I'll tell you this, I'm old at that movie. Wait, what? I'm old. <laughs> I'm old from that movie. <laughs> See, I'm, I got that movie gave me the sometimers. It's just, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's three bad jokes in a row. It's not good. I'll just I tell mean, you that your but... dialogue there was about on par with the dialogue in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's not. It's not good, but I found it wildly entertaining. It's one. So you have you seen the happening, Lucas, or at least of uh, a funny scenes from it? I've seen funny scenes. Yeah. So yeah. you know that point in the happening where uh, uh, where Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel are with those people of a greenhouse about one guy just starts talking about hot dogs. Yes. And it's, yeah, yeah that's all the dialogue in this movie. It's oh on my that God. level. There's a, there's a point where um, there's this man named Jaron and his wife <laughs> has seizures. She's got epilepsy. And uh, she's having a seizure at one point in the movie. And this another person comes over and it's just like a doctor or something. And he looks at him. He look. Jaron looks at this man and says, "I'm a nurse. My name is Jaron." And that that's just. And that's literally how he delivers the line. I am a nurse. Oh, no. My name is Jaron. And also, do you know how they get people exposition across? They have the kids play a game at the beach that no kid would ever play, which is called "What's your name and what's your occupation?" <laughs> and the, and the, who is your daddy and what does he do? Exactly. But the kid, the kid, that's I didn't even really put that together, Liam. That that was just like them exposing what they do. Like, yeah. So the kids will literally run up to the main characters of the movie and be like. What's your name? What's your what's your occupation and how old are you? And literally <laughs> just runs through the shit. But Liam, you know what I just clued oh, into no. was that they were doing that with the nephew. And the nephew probably came up with that game or was told by his uncle to play that game so that they could go get that's probably M Knight's like train of thought <laughs> in that. You yeah, know. no, it's uh it's another one of those uh, uh, what is it Shyamalan ideas where it's an interesting enough idea. Also, from what I understand, it's based on a graphic novel that I have not read. Yeah, but again, it's one of those things where it seems like an interesting enough idea, but man, like uh, Shyamalan, it's kind of like what I predicted after Glass. Like, though I didn't hate Glass, that one I was just underwhelmed by. It. It's like started to get. It's like what happened when uh, it's the same thing that happened when he uh, started his career and he started to go downhill, which is uh, he started to get praise. Got his head a little too far up his ass. Thought he could do anything, and uh, started to make the worst possible decisions yeah. with that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, it doesn't. It doesn't play very well. Like, like Liam said, some of the concepts are are pretty interesting, but it's the way he, that he executes the concepts that just like fall really, really, really flat. And um, my partner had mentioned how watching M Night movies nowadays is really hard to do because the whole movie you just expect the twist 
you're just waiting for it and you're looking for it and you're looking for clues and you're looking for hints for those things. And it, it's hard to watch his movies now because you just expect there to be something revealed that like completely changes your concept of, of what you've been watching over the past hour and a half, right? And so it's hardly, yeah, like it's just difficult to really get into the movies because you're just anticipating something that may or may not pay off. Right. Yeah, and the really good ones are the ones that were like you don't really realize are the ones that managed to be good in spite of that. Right. Like uh Split or um or uh hell uh even uh what's it called? Uh the village where everybody guessed the twist. Right, exactly. Um Yeah, no, I think uh this is another one of those things where I've realized Shyamalan is one of those directors where um even though he's made my my least favorite movie of all time. And even though he can always he can make some hot garbage, I will always go to see a Shyamalan movie, mainly because I know I'll either be in for a riot, or at the very least, I won't at least take nothing away from it. I'll just be intrigued by the decisions that were made. Yeah, it's the same thing I have with uh, uh, Zack Snyder or Gore, Gore Verbinski. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. Yeah, it's just yeah, it just feels like he is an enigma in and himself as a human being and as a filmmaker and. So it like there's there's a bit in the movie where there's a man who keeps talking about how Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were in a movie together. And it's he, a way he's a doctor and he uses it as a way to get his patients distracted on the pain. That's not what's happening. That's here. how I was gathering. That was go, no, what was going he, on at first. Then he starts to he has uh, early he starts. He, he has early signs of dementia. Is what yeah, it but is. there's also yeah, but it starts off and then it starts to go into the dementia I, thing. I think you read that scene very wrong because that is not. That, I don't think that's the intention. That's how I was that. reading it at first. Then I started reading it as uh, where it was really going. It's oh. obviously there to set that up. That's pretty much. I don't even know. Oh, whatever. Anyway, he keeps mentioning it over and over again, and uh, that actually came from Shyamalan's real life. So his dad has like, as Shyamalan said, it said touches of dementia and i was like that's not how that works <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but anyway he just touches of it and his dad kept bringing up this movie with jack nicholson and marlon brando he's like dad if you don't stop saying that i'm gonna put it in a movie and it's just like that's kind of disrespectful you <laughs> like your dad is sick your dad is a sick man well his and dad is well his relationship with his dad is also interesting because if you watch um his uh the uh behind the scenes for the sixth sense Shyamalan goes off and talks like his dad talks, says what his dad has been saying, and he puts on like a very, very heavy uh, East Indian voice oh boy. Uh, impersonating him. Oh and I'm like, God. I mean, I guess it's your dad, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, but should you be doing this? Yeah. Anyway, old is not good. I'll just say that, but I did have a very good time watching it. I don't think I'll ever watch it again, but I will remember almost every single second of it. And finally, <laughs> I, will watch, I will watch some of it in parts. Yeah, just just for the laughs or whatever. Finally, Liam and I saw uh, the Suicide Squad, and I will honestly say that it was probably the best of all of the DC films, DCEU, I should say, the DCEU, in my opinion. Um, it's great. I had a very yeah. fucking good time watching that movie. It was yeah, it it was a riot. Yeah. Um, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say perfect. I'm hearing some people claiming it like a new masterpiece, but I'm like, no, it was just, I would see it as like, it was a great ass time. Yeah, it was, it was wildly entertaining. The character portrayals, um, were very, uh, I wouldn't say they were like accurate by any means, but they were interesting to watch for sure. And, uh, the way that they handle a lot of the people who die or whatever, um, 
it, it's very funny the way in which every single person dies in that movie, which is odd because you don't always want to laugh when people die. But in this one, James Gunn's like, no, no, you can laugh. Like, But then he pulls the rug out <laughs> from under you at some points where he's like, oh, shit. He kind of makes you feel bad for laughing at that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think Gunn directed it very well and wrote it very well because oh, there's, this there's is a lot a movie... of heart. There's a lot of heart. Oh, even just from a directorial ep- uh, was it uh, perspective, you can tell that this is the movie you make when you got fired from your old job or are taken off the leash. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was kind of let let loose <laughs> with it, and it shows. It really does show because there's a lot of bombastic stuff and stuff that's like that parodies um, superhero films in general, um, and he really leans into it, but not to the point where it's set like full on like. It's more satire than it is um, parody, I should say. It's not parody. It's more satire in, in a lot of ways. Like, there's this one bit where um, Bloodsport, who's Idris Elba's character, falls through five or six floors of a building yeah, and he rides falls down. down, lands on where he lands okay, thinking he's safe. And then, like, the floor keeps breaking. The floor, the whole floor breaks down until it hits the next floor. Yeah, and just keeps falling. <laughs> and, then the next... <laughs> and then he does the superhero landing. And it's like, of course, like, of course, he would land that way or whatever. <laughs> um, and King Shark, played by Sylvester Stallone, is probably my favorite um, villain now. Um, mostly just because he's not really a villain. He's just a hungry man. That's it. He's, just, he's a, uh, yeah, no, he's just a big dub shark person. Yeah. And he's just so funny. Uh, hound. Bird. <laughs> bird. Anyway. Um. <laughs> But no, uh, I enjoyed it a lot as well. Um, I'm, I was it. Uh, like I've mentioned before on the show, but I'm a fan of uh, comics to begin with, and you could tell that James Gunn very much is as well. To a point where even uh, John Ostrander has a cameo in this movie. Yeah. Um, the tone is still not quite uh, that of the comics, but it's enough where. But I mean, it's enough of its own thing where that doesn't bother me. Like I can see a lot of like '70s or '80s action movie influences in here. In fact, uh, Idris Elba's character, uh, Bloodsport, kind of reminded me of Snake Plissken a little bit. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I can get behind <laughs> um, There's, uh, uh, no, but, like, uh, even, like, a lot of the people who are obviously just kind of there, they get, like, some amusing moments. Uh, I liked how, uh, uh, when I saw the trailer, I was really scared it was just going to be a really vulgar Guardians of the Galaxy. But, no, this has very much its own voice. Uh, James Gunn knows how to feel like i uh, was it to make keep uh was it like his usual tropes very fresh mm-hmm. also uh one thing this has over the guardians movies for me which is uh well outside of it being more of a uh, a tone or uh kind of thing of my i uh, was it of my sensibilities um like it's shocking how sensitive how uh mean-spirited parts of this movie are yeah for sure yeah um but like uh i think the biggest thing this has is uh that i think really throws me off from the guardians movies which is that with the maybe of a possible exception of Gamora, none of those movies really have a straight man. Yeah. Like a person who plays everything straight. Like, in fact, I'd argue that at times in the Guardians movies, why particularly the second one frustrated me is because I'm like, pretty much everything most of you guys say half the time is fucking useless. <laughs> um, and uh, and there's like a lot of like dumb, like obviously like um e- like uh rapid fire jokes or whatnot, but Again, they always bounce it back to a point where it's like, okay, well, this is where we're supposed to care and have some investment, but it never takes away from the fun of it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, 
I, as I've said before, uh, hella violent, way too violent for kids. Do not take kids to it. There was a child sitting behind <laughs> us and well, a child, young, young adult, teenager, young, tween. <laughs> I, was, I was going through my head. I was like, age groups. What's the word? And two tween. So there's tween behind us. And a, a few times during the movie, like I'd be laughing my balls off and I could just hear from behind, from behind me. He'd be like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. And I was like, <laughs> oh, kid, you got so much more life ahead of you. But I'm glad you're in, I'm glad you're having a good time, you know, because I was having a great time. I laughed a lot. I laughed and I didn't think I was going to laugh that much, but it I laughed helped. pretty consistently. It also helps that uh, with it. But outside of the element with a superhero uh, with superpower stuff, it does the things that all the best superhero movies do, which is don't just straight up make it that. Right. Like again, this is kind of like an '80s uh, action. Uh, uh, what is it? Action adventure film. Yeah. Um. In fact, it also has a lot of '90s sensibilities in its style. Oh, for sure. Yeah, is one thing agree. that I really started to realize. Yeah, I would agree. All right, um, Liam. Anything else? What else have you seen? Uh, well, we might, we might, other... we might as well transfer over to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the only other thing I guess I saw, which I did with work because I didn't really have any intention on seeing this outside of it is I finally saw black widow. Yeah. Hmm. Um, maybe it's the fact that, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, the suicide squad helped me fight my burnout with, uh, comic book stuff or whatnot, or superhero movies. But man, this this whole movie felt like it was just made out of obligation. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like it was just a very. It has the same problems I have with a lot of Marvel movies, which is, uh, uh was it just like the overabundance of CGI and nothing being tangible, or like just the fact that I could tell, uh, uh was it some, uh, like some things were obviously called back in the editor reshoots, um, yeah. Because li- uh, actually, Liam brought up something interesting the other day that I didn't know. Um, is that, and I, I think it's smart, but Liam thinks it's, it's, I think it's a bullshit way to make movies and destroys artistic integrity is that when they do every single shot of that movie, they always shoot a plate before Mm -hmm. they put the characters and stuff in. They always shoot like five or six seconds of just, or however long without the characters in the, in the screen. And then they put them in so that later on, if they do need to do reshoots, they just, green screen them in yeah they don't have to go back to the location and i was like that's fucking brilliant but liam's like logistically logistically it's brilliant logistically and it probably saves a lot of goddamn money yeah Yeah, but that's just my opinion on it because liam's never produced a movie yeah but it also (laughs) is the only reason it's done is so that they could uh, was extensively test screen these damn things and then go back and just add in whatever's current or popular i guess or update it to that probably true which i find hurts a lot of creative integrity Sure. Um, then, uh, I mean, I guess the biggest thing with, uh, one of the biggest negatives I had about this movie is, uh, that it feels kind of like I'm watching a sequel to a more interesting movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, so the whole plot Does is this that, feel uh, like a sequel to Iron Man two. You no, mean? <laughs> no, what I'm saying is that, uh, so, um, black widow gets called back, uh, into, uh, we explore origins cause she gets called back by her sister who was, uh, played by Florence Pugh, who's also a who was also a Black Widow, uh, saying like, "Oh yeah, no, we and uh, Natasha Black Widow thought they were all gone, but it turns out it's like, oh no, they're still alive." And a purse and the head of a red room, which she thought she killed, was still alive, and she talks about how uh, apparently what happened in Budapest or Budapest, as uh, they uh, really pushed in this movie, Oof. Um, is um, uh, what do you call it? Is that uh, what what Black Widow and Hawkeye were doing there? 
was they were taking out the head of the red room mm. and they talk about him. There's like a lot of nods to it. I'm like, you know what you guys are talking about here sounds a lot more interesting than the movie I'm watching. <laughs> I'd rather see um, that please. Um, but no, uh, essentially I... it's just kind of like, uh, you could tell that the, that the team behind this was very inspired by mission impossible fallout, mm. but didn't really understand why that movie was cool. Oh, fair enough. That's the um, one with Kavo, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Like a lot of the set pieces are kind of shot that way, or like you could tell we're kind of trying to go for that bare knuckles kind of action. Right. But like it also has that uh that Russo brothers kind of shaky cam shit that I'm kind of tired of. Yeah, for sure. Um and uh I will say I'll also I'll say straight up, uh David Harbour's really annoying in this movie. Apparently a lot of people really like him, but I did not like him yeah. here at all. Yeah. He just fits every Russian stereotype possible. Hmm. Like you like said, he's you just said the first time we see him, he's like chugging back a bottle of vodka or whatever. Yeah, he's always he's, he's referencing vodka all the time. When we first meet him, he's in prison, arm wrestling like a guy while he's getting a tattoo done on his back. I'm like, that's <laughs> fucking stupid. Punching a bear with the other hand. Just... Yeah. He also has uh, the words Carl and Marx written on his uh, tattooed on his knuckles. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't even I'm like, did you just throw any Russian thing into a blender and just and also Karl Marx is Austrian. Yeah, like, <laughs> the fuck are you guys doing? Also, um, like, because his whole character was that he was involved with the Soviet Union or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that's where his background is, because he was kind of like a Soviet Captain America. Oh, and I'm like, okay. the Soviets don't weren't really fond of Karl Marx. They would reference him, but if anything, <laughs> wouldn't have been more Lenin or Stalin? Yeah. Like, it's just... That's funny. Yeah, no, Um, even like... uh. Uh, like it was just one of those movies where the whole time watching it, I was like, I feel like this could have been real. This could have been really good, but one, you made it too late and you just made it out of obligation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially given how long she had been around with these characters and what a fan base she had, I feel like black widow deserved better. Mm. Especially yeah. after how many fans were heard about uh, where her uh, story ended in uh Endgame. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Anything yeah, else? I don't, uh no, that's about it. That's all you've seen? Or, yeah, I saw the two most Yeah, I'll, everything else not really not really of note. Like I talked about the other things I saw with you. Yeah, fair enough. Lucas. Hello. Uh so the first thing <laughs> <I'm> on... <laughs> Hello. You make it seem like you're like, all right, now that those fuckers are done, uh, it's now it's... <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for the good shit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh I watched uh the uh movie adaptation of a book I read a while back called Indian Horse. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know if y'all remember me uh, talking about that, but the book is about a uh, a First Nations kid who um, uh, loses his family and ends up in a residential school uh, in Ontario, Canada. Um, and oh, not not Ontario, Texas. Sorry. No, not Ontario. <laughs> what is this? What is this? Uh, Cinema Sins? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck those. Guys. Uh, but um, basically, it tells the story of him going through res- residential school. And be, and them realizing he's kind of like a hockey prodigy, uh, and then going on and uh, join eventually joining like a farm team for one of the uh, I think for the Maple Leafs, um, but because of the pressure of him being First Nations and all like the racist stereotypes that are being hurled at him, uh, compounded on top of his horrible experiences in um, uh, uh, residential schools, that doesn't really work out, and his life kind of goes downhill from there. Mm. Um, the movie, the, the book is great. Like, I, I genuinely love the book. And the movie is less so. <laughs> oh, okay. It, I don't want to shit talk the movie, but, like, 
I think it was made by people who weren't particularly uh, experienced, maybe, which is interesting because Clint Eastwood produced this movie. Oh, but yeah. he, uh, the, I can't remember who the director is. There were no names that I really recognized aside from Clint Eastwood, but Stephen... he was a guy who works with Clint Eastwood fairly regularly. Stephen Campanelli. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone, I think, did their best, but I think it was also a, it's a, it's a Canadian movie, so oftentimes Canadian movies don't have the resources that like Hollywood movies have. Right. Um. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad. I don't want to say it's bad, but also the the book is is very meandery. It's it, there's not really a solid uh, structure to it. Uh, whereas you know movies tend to do better when they have a more solid structure. <laughs> Arguably, yeah. Arguably, yeah. <laughs> I said tend to. Um, I, I just, I just, I just think it, they, it was good, but like I, I feel like uh, it wasn't adapted quite as well as maybe it could have been. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, it's, I or, mean... or even the story might not might not be uh, super suited to the screen, like because they didn't really change very much either. Stephen Campanelli is an Italian man, so I don't know if uh, yeah, an Italian yeah, immigrant, yeah, an Italian immigrant should be really directing a movie about First Nations people in Canada. Yeah, and hockey. Yeah, it, it's it started all as far as I could tell, uh, real First Nations people. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe they should have found a First Nations director. Uh, but uh, it was pretty good. The book is uh, a lot better in my opinion. It's just it's funny because it's not it doesn't sound like something that would be up your alley. You know, well, I mean, it's also... yeah. <laughs> more so specifically the sports part, the the history mm. part, yes, but the sports part, mm -hmm. no. Well, yeah, mean... it's 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 a, the thing is it's a very Canadian novel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say the biggest thing is that uh, it's always interesting when people say, "Well, the book was better." I'm like, I mean, in most cases, like just from a uh, the way books to adaptations work, is the book mm -hmm. is typically always better because I mean, it goes. I, would, in... I, I actually, I mean, see, it's most of the time better, but a lot, a lot of the it was better mindset came from i experienced that thing first so i think it's better right right yeah no i'm just um, saying like in the way yeah. how like the book can always go into more detail or whatnot mainly because they have the element of the reader's interpretation more yeah. so than a movie will ever have that's more so what i'm saying mm -hmm. um though I've noticed... i also think books tend to be adapted better into tv tv series or miniseries than oh, sure. movies. oh sure yeah. yeah i mean i'd argue it really depends on the book but yeah, but but most yeah. books uh, have a lot more content than a two-hour movie could fill. Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I think yeah, the book was the book was better. I'm one of those people. But <laughs> boo. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I, I think it's a it's an important topic. So I think they they did their best for sure. For sure. Uh, I've also been playing a lot of uh, Fallout New Vegas, which I talked a little bit. Uh, with uh, Christian about uh, while we were streaming uh, Valheim. Uh, and that game is genuinely really, really good, but also really frustrating yep. sometimes. Yep. Like there's there's this one mission I was on. I was like in this vault that was full of like uh, plants and like these plants that come to life and we're like infecting people with spores and, st and stuff. And then you have to, you have to go through uh, and there's this door that is locked and you have to find the key card. And there's no guide to find the key, key card. It's just a little brown rectangle on a shelf, like off in the back in one room. Yeah. And it's, it's okay. <laughs> they could have made that like a little bit simpler. Nah. But okay, whatever. But I do, I do like how uh, it presents a lot of genuine like moral dilemmas that where there isn't really a, a right answer. Right. With like who, who you align with uh, over the course of the game, there's not really a right answer. Uh, and. Lots of the quests have really interesting moral dilemmas uh, at, at their end. 
Uh, it is a little bit dated in terms of its uh, graphics and kind of like mechanics and everything. Yeah, for sure. Well, what year but, did New you know, Vegas come out again? 2008? Yeah, late 2000, I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm having fun. Yeah, it's a great game. Did you uh, did you play with the two bears high-fiving mod? I don't know what that is. Oh, you know at the beginning when you're in Doc Gooding's house, or what's his mm-hmm. name, Doc? Uh, I think that's his name. Um, but you're yeah, in the doc, like Doc's house at the beginning, and he shows you all those, uh, uh, um, what are they called? Uh, Rorschach, oh, the inkblot? Yeah, the Rorschach. The Rorschach the ink, the, pictures? The ink, ink, yeah. yeah, the inkblot tests. There's one that looks like two bears high-fiving, mm-hmm. and that's literally the only thing the mod does is it gives you the option to say two bears high-fiving. <laughs> 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 so that's the only that's thing. That's what I thought it was, but that, that wasn't one of the options. That was That's uh, all the mod does is it gives you the option <laughs> to answer that. And then when you go on to play, uh, I think it's Dead Money or... No, it's not Dead Money. It's one of the... It's one of the um, the, the DLCs, but there's a character mm-hmm. in that game in one of those DLCs that's named Two Bears High Fiving. <laughs> I'm a big fan. I've never made that clear on nice. the show that Fallout is like one. I mean, I play it all the time on stream, but yeah. So, mm-hmm. well, new uh, Fallout Four specifically, but I'm I'm probably gonna play New Vegas on stream at some point after I finish Fallout Four. Um, but I'm a big fucking fan, <laughs> huge, and I know these two know that. But yeah, yeah, um, big fan. I'm pretty sure new again Vegas based came out on in 2010, 2010. Sorry, Liam. I was also going to say, I guarantee our audience has figured it out, given it, given you stream it every week. Well, the, the, but not, our audience is not, not necessarily the same people audience. who are watching the show, right? So yeah. not, not not necessarily. Um, yeah. yeah the, oh, pardon me. And then uh, Fallout 3 came out like six months later, I think. I think, I think so, yeah. Or it was the inverse. It was, like, um, it was Bethesda who did Fallout 3, right? Right. And then and uh, Obsidian did Fallout New Vegas. Correct. Yeah. 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 That's... Obsidian, Obsidian from... Everything I played from them is really well written, at the very least. At the least, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's why I like I like New Vegas so much, is because it's a lot like like you said, like the moral dilemmas and everything, and the options that you have um, are a lot more guided in the player's journey. Mm-hmm. While with Fallout Three and Fallout Four, it's pretty linear. It's like it's like this yeah. is what Bethesda wants you to do, and this is the outcome that they think is the best one. And then here are here are the other ones that you, I guess you could play. You know, yeah. I, I, I guess yeah, you could yeah, do yeah. this if you want to. But yeah, like much the, more much much more like structured, lot less choice. Yeah, and there's a lot more attention yeah. to detail for certain choices than there are in other choices, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, I guess we need a choice over here, so you know, put it there. I don't know. You get shot in the head, or oh, fuck it, I don't care. And then yeah. Todd, Todd, Todd Howard is just like, yeah, put in robots. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, New Vegas, good game. Sometimes a little annoying. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, I am uh, almost done. I didn't quite finish, but I'm reading a book called Humankind, uh, A Hopeful History History by Rucker Brigman, oh, yeah. uh, who is a Dutch historian. Uh, and basically, the book is him arguing that humans are by nature good. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really interesting read. He talks about um, the likely uh, behaviors and cultures of um, uh, pre-civilization peoples. Uh, he talks about more modern psych- uh, psychology experiments like the Stanford prison experiment and why they need a second look. For example, the Stan- uh, according to him uh, in his book, the Stanford prison experiment is largely uh, bullshit. Right. Like it was it was it was really uh, it was a really bad experiment. It has never been successfully replicated. One, because it was highly unethical. No one wants to redo it. But there was apparently a um, 
an attempt to uh, remake the per uh, experiment by the BBC. They made a TV series about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and they made four episodes of really, really bad TV because uh, they, they set up the guards and the prisoners and le left them to do what they were going to do. And they formed the Democratic Commune instead of being <laughs> guards and prisoners. They went completely the opposite direction yeah. of what they wanted. <laughs> and they had to shut the experiment down because they're like, this isn't what we were studying, but okay. <laughs> this is not the outcome we wanted. We wanted you to beat each other at billy clubs, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, but we didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, I remember you were telling me a little bit about this mm -hmm. uh, after D&D, &D, Lucas. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Where uh, we went off onto uh, one of our usual... Um, discussions about what the problem with the world is and, what, and, and how to fix it yeah but um it's a really really fascinating book he he also talks about uh like things that are going on now that kind of uh provide evidence to kind of the the, the mainstream narrative that humans are brutish and uh self-centered by nature um and basically he kind of agrees with uh i think his name is jean-jacques rousseau uh he was a uh french philosopher way back when, who kind of was the opposite to Hobbes, who kind of, uh, I can't remember Hobbes' first name. Shaw? But he, Thomas. What? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes, that's it, thank I you. I said Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shaw, Shaw Hobbes. Hobbes. Hobbes and Shaw. Uh, uh, and basically, uh, Hobbes said that humans are brutish and selfish by nature, and then uh, Rousseau was saying, uh, said basically the exact opposite, that it's only the 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 limitations of civilization that make us selfish and brutish right um and then there's john locke who said tabula rasa humans are what they're made um which he doesn't really talk about in the book i just it's fun uh, <laughs> but overall uh it's a really 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 interesting book and has changed uh the way i look at things in a lot of ways for sure Ooh. uh yeah humans aren't aren't as bad as we seem because there's there's also he talks about uh one of the psychological kind of like uh, faults that make people think people are bad. And that's like uh, the combination of the negativity bias and the uh, uh, availability bias. Basically, we focus more on negative things. And if we can remember uh, ex lots of examples of something happening, we assume that's true kind of across the board. And if we focus on something a lot uh, because it's negative and also have lots of examples of it, then, you know, those two things come together and form a pretty solid picture right uh but that's kind of a defect in the way humans think but um it's a really interesting book i recommend it cool yeah there i'm done and nothing <laughs> else lucas hey nothing that's, else all right no. fantastic that has been the ingestion for this week so thank you very much we've oh i should say we have um rendered the recommendations portions of our show um useless now <laughs> because <laughs> if anything just watch and watch and listen to the stuff and read the stuff that we just talked about in our ingestion that's probably yeah. <laughs> and use use your gauge to see if whether or not you like it based off of our our review of those things but also um the recommendations portion of the show was originally inst instated as a uh a way to get people through the pandemic and yeah. we're pretty much at the end of that. So go fucking find your own. Books, I don't God foresee it. it coming Fuck back you. unless uh, <laughs> you're a pessimist like me and think a fourth wave is coming. Oh, it already, it's already here, <laughs> baby. Uh, okay. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening to the ingestion. When we come back from our little break, uh, we're going to be talking about the green Knight, uh, directed by David Lowry came out uh, July yeah. 30th, 2021. Uh, so you're actually probably watching this, 
a couple weeks after that movie came out, but it's probably still yes. in theaters. I would hope so. If it's not, then shit. It's still playing. Okay. Cool. Uh, friends saw it yesterday. Right on. So we will be right back. Yes, uh, we'll be back, and Lucas will tell us all about how once again the book was better. <laughs> well, welcome to the welcome. Poem, you mean? Yeah, welcome to Lucas's Green Knight <laughs> podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> No way. Yes, really? <laughs> no. Yes. Nuh-uh. No way. Nuh-uh. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, fuck you, Liam. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thundercast. Today, we are going to be talking about Dave Lowry's uh, The Green Knight, brought to you by A24, released on July 30th, 2021. Um, 130 minutes long, country, United States, language, English. <laughs> Just start Wikipedia, Wikipedia, Wikipedia. <laughs> We've made this joke essentially every single time we talk about a movie at great length <laughs> so um, but yes let's anybody. just read the wikipedia page it's easy content again we've made that joke seven fucking times and i've all, and i've said a few times like you know what we should do we should start a podcast where we literally just read the wikipedia page. <laughs> oh look there's another joke repeat like there was there was i don't know if i told the story before but there when i back when i did history of bridge um, someone in the comments accused me. He's like, "Oh, this this video is just a wiki read." <laughs> and I'm like, "What? No, no." It would take me like 30 minutes to read out the, the Wikipedia article. This video is four minutes long. What Thus, the abridged portion. Yeah, the abridged part. <laughs> this is the abridged Wikipedia. Page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia abridged. It's a new YouTube series. <laughs> I'd watch it if it was just you. Like, so stupid. Anyway, welcome back to the show. So we're going to be talking about The Green Knight, which is based on uh, an old Arthurian, Arthurian, Arthurian yes. legend, uh, mm-hmm. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Or... Yeah, I, I have no idea of the pro- proper pronunciation. I've always pronounced it Gawain. Gawain. Yeah. Because yeah. they say it, I say it four different ways in the movie. Yeah, they do say it a couple different. And I ways. thought it was uh, Gaelwin, kind of like uh, Aowin, mm. but with a G. Right. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 old English, so pronunciation is up in the air since no one actually speaks it anymore. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I was gonna ask one thing before we really get into the meat of it, Lucas, just because mm-hmm. uh, I was a friend of mine saw it yesterday, and I was riding the bus with him this morning, and uh, I was tell and he was asking and he was telling me about how he wasn't familiar with the Green Knight at all or any Urbat legend. Uh, he was only is this familiar. Connor? Uh, yes, he said he was only he only had any familiar with on, the only familiarity he had with anything Arthurian was uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, was uh, the Once and Future King, mm-hmm. um, and that's probably because they him and his him and some of his other friends play one one uh, game way 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 too much. But Which is there is Avalon? Avalon, yep. Mm. Is there a, uh, a was it an adaptation of the Green Knight in the same vein as? Uh, uh, once and future king for um the sword and the stone or sorry I, I don't fully understand what you mean yeah neither like so if you have uh the if you have um uh ph for fuck you ph <laughs> white's uh once and future king for a uh uh the retelling we go back to the most for like the main arthur legends Mm-hmm. Is there one for uh, the Green Knight or a Bat Tale? Oh, I see what you're asking. Oh, is there? I I don't. I am unaware of any other adaptation of the Green Knight outside of the outside of the movie. Yeah, outside of the one we watched. I, I'm I'm sure there. I, I feel I feel like there's an animated version, but I I, I honestly do not know. Because you and I have discussed in the past how um, like no uh 
like how no Arthur Arthurian stuff gets touched outside of like uh, the ones in Future King or like just mm-hmm. with all of Abbott's tackle. Yeah, stuff directly to, directly to do with Arthur and Merlin get uh, get done and redone over and over and over, but no one gives a shit about the other knights. So it's been adapted four times actually. Oh, uh, okay. So one named Gawain in the Green Knight in 1973, and again as Sword of the Valiant, the Legend of Sir Gawain in the Green Knight. Uh, fe- featuring Sean Connery as the Green Knight. Uh, both uh, uh-huh. got criticism for deviating from the poem's plot. Uh, and then we had the Green Knight by Lowry. And then there was, and there actually was an animated series, uh, at least two yeah. television animated series, or animated uh, Gawain and the Green Knight and the animated Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in 2002. And then a documentary uh, so so there's been and like theater presentations and opera and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I remember Lucas and I were talking about uh, when we first heard about well, Christian, you as well. When we first heard about the Green Knight, how it's was just fascinating how they were just going to somebody was going out of her way to adapt the ancient poem, right. especially mm-hmm. after in the past uh, 10 years or so, even people just adapting uh, the, the Arthur legend straight up haven't gone over well at the box office or really critically for that matter. I, but I think part mm-hmm. of that is is people have tried to, like, um, I mean, it's not an Arthurian legend, but like the Robin Hood by, um, what was it, Ridley Scott? Yeah, and remember <laughs> was that other one with Taron Egerton or... Right, and like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. they try to modernize them way too much and make them hip and cool. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking knight named Mike. Mike, <laughs> mage named Jack. Yeah. Which okay, I don't mind. Like like Jack, I can get Jack. I mm. can be a little bit more accepting of, mm-hmm. right? Mike, no. Like I'm sure they would call him <laughs> Michael. Right? Yeah, Michael is Michael's been a name for fucking ever. But like just but like, referring to him because I mean I I wouldn't be shocked if they also called him Mike back then mm-hmm. but like i doubt it was as popular as like just referring to them by their full name right Mike, yeah I don't, I don't i don't know i don't know like they probably did have like they most likely did have short names like nicknames for each other almost almost certainly they did they did but, it'd but probably like, be it just, like it just the feels insolent weird. one yes hello <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't know but yeah uh it's it's and like it's if this is a fairly mainstream uh, uh, like A twenty four is not exactly mainstream, but like they're the most mainstream, main... like like mm-hmm. art house film studio. Yeah, though. yeah, for sure. Ooh. But like uh, a fairly mainstream adaptation of the Green Knight, uh, adapted in a very art housey way. Yeah, is it, it? It's such a it's such a weird thing that this movie got made. It's it's yeah. very odd. Yeah, well, I yeah, because mean... it's it's interesting because like I remember saying to you guys after we saw it, but it's pretty much a straight for the most part. You pointed out some differences. It's a straight telling of a poem, mm-hmm. but it's also kind of like, for lack of a better term, like an avant-garde deconstruction of that uh, of that myth. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, Lucas would definitely have more of a, a frame of reference on that. Um, but I, I what what I really appreciate about pre- appreciated about it is that um, it's pretty unapologetically itself. You know, mm-hmm. they don't really explain anything to you like things just kind of unfold. And as they unfold, you're just kind of meant to accept it. For mm-hmm. example, uh, I don't know if they show it in the trailer, but there's a scene. We should say spoilers, by the way. Yeah, so, spoilers for the Green Knight. Spoilers. spoilers. Full on spoilers, spoilers for the Green Knight. Spoilers for a movie based on a, a, a like a thousand year old poem. <laughs> yes. More okay. like a million years, but. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that like that scene with uh, the giants walking through mm. the the mist, right? They don't explain that 
They're just like, oh yeah, no, there's giants in this world. Like, oh yeah, if you didn't, yeah. fuck you. Like, you didn't know that. Well, that's your fault, right? Um, but yeah, it, 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 is... it fit really well, surprisingly well into the movie. It didn't like add much to like the actual plot. No, but like it was just like this is a this is a like a fantasy world, and you're gonna see fantastical things. I mean that um, that that portion does happen within the interlude section of the film. Yeah. Um, so there is that. I mean, that's also part of why it probably fit in so well the way that it did. Um, that's something that we should probably mention is that the, the film is um, it's quite long. Um, it's in it's 130 minutes. Um, so it's oh, it's 10 minutes over two hours. Right. Uh, so it it definitely it's a, it's a sit like you, you have to really be ready to it's, sit there during f- for a long time. Um, it's very deliberately paced. Yeah, I think is the way I'll put mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I would agree. And but one mechanic that they use, which I've told Lucas and Liam that I really appreciate and I'm starting and will probably slowly start to hate over the next couple of years. Um, like but, Daisy Ridley all over again. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe Florence Pugh. Who knows? Um, as uh, as um, uh, they have started using this mechanic in in modern film. It's a thing that's happened. It's been in film for like since the dawn of film mechanic or framing device framing device is putting chapter titles ahead of Mm. uh, sections of a film um and part of that is so that it one feels more like a novel a visual novel in a way Mm -hmm. but also allows audiences the opportunity to tell each other you know i loved this section of the film I loved mm-hmm. this section of the film. And if you felt so inclined, you could very well just watch that one section of the film and treat it as a short story in on itself, right? Um, which is something mm-hmm. that I really appreciate. But yes, just building up what Liam's saying, it is very deliberate in how things are paced and played out. Um, and not only uh, paced, but placed. So there's certain things that are placed in the movie that pay off later. And other things that just don't pay off. That are just there purely for the fantastical element of things, um, like particularly that with the axe and how it got back after he got um, uh, Winifred's head out of a, out of a lake, like because the mm-hmm. axe was stolen by those uh, mara- uh, by those marauder type dudes, right? Yeah, and uh, then it's kind of just back after he brings her head out of a lake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This this movie is really weird and i love it <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, so, I'm so glad to hear from lucas because i mean you like weird stuff for sure i do like weird stuff but and i i had a feeling this was gonna and i you could tell me if i'm wrong lucas but i was like i have a feeling the green knight is gonna be lucas's midsummer yeah you know? <laughs> where he's gonna be like that was fucking weird and i loved it and yeah. I, I felt like it was gonna be one of a because i know sometimes you, when it comes to like the avant-garde kind of stuff lucas you could get a little uh they could get a little dicey or hit or miss for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like uh, I, I like to know what's going on. I like to understand like the, the, what, what people are doing and if it doesn't make sense to me, then I'll kind of go over my head. Yeah. And maybe it's because I, I did know the poem going in, yeah. but like, but also I think, I think the direction uh, is really, really good at telling you what's going on without like actually saying anything. Like for I sure. haven't read, like I haven't read the, I haven't read the poem, but I didn't find it too hard to follow. Mm-hmm. There were a few like obviously like little what the fuck moments, but mm-hmm. then there were uh, but it was easy enough for me to be like oh I'll accept this and then just kind of get back into it and yeah. continue to just the, pick the, up. Yeah, the stuff in the center, uh, I I can't recall if it was in the poem or not. Like the 
uh, him getting robbed and then the uh, Winifred in the house and then like the giants and everything. I, I can't recall if those are in them. The, the scenes that like I most vividly recall are the opening scene, the Christmas game, uh, the exchange of winnings, and then when they're actually at the chapel at the end. And so, sorry, uh, the, the poem is also broken up into those headings as well? I believe, I believe so. I know exchange of winnings is for sure. And the Christmas game as well. Okay. So I believe uh, I it it uh, stands to reason that they are those chapters. Um, okay. So uh, one thing I was thinking about, but I did notice is, uh, and I was going to bring this up earlier, is notice how uh, when he journey uh, was with the exception of um when he uh, uh what is with the exception of uh when he uh, beheads the Green Knight at the beginning and he leaves, uh was it before he uh, before uh, uh Galen leaves the uh, kingdom. It's pretty mundane medieval stuff, like yeah. pretty. Uh, and then, mm-hmm. like as he Brothels journeys off, and drinking and hanging out, and yeah, like night, like just very traditional, like how you would imagine living in that time. But as he leaves, and the further he goes, notice how more surreal and like uh, mm-hmm. almost kind of like old world magic it kind of becomes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like and like in early medieval times, that's very much like uh, built into the fo- folklore. Like the elves and the fairies and such lived in the forests, and because forests were dangerous, you couldn't go there, uh, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's very, very much built into uh, the origin of this poem as well. And, right. and it's something uh, uh, when we readapt these stories, I do see get brought up a lot. Um, maybe it's like because I remember uh, with uh, Zemeckis's version of uh, Beowulf, they kind of tried to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But that, but I feel like this is the most effective I've seen it done in film, at least. Oh yeah, at sure. least in recent years, because you have a really swell direction to back it up. I say and- give it, give it about ten years, five to ten years, I'd say, for there to be a renaissance of high, high fantasy films again. You know, like, I feel like that that that's a corner that we're going to turn because I feel like a lot of film bro, film bros, film people, I don't want to call them film bros cuz a lot of them aren't. Um but a lot of film people are going to go see this this um particular piece and take so much inspiration from it because of all things that Lowry is, a good director is only one of them, right? Cuz and and he also wrote the screenplay as well. Um, but of all things that he is, a director is definitely probably the highlight of all things, which is funny because the man hasn't directed a whole lot. Like he's, well, he's done mm-hmm. a handful of films, most notably um, Ghost Story, uh, Pete's Dragon, uh, The Old Man and the Gun. And then he did another movie called uh, uh, Ain't Them Bodies, Bodies Saints, um, which also stars uh, Casey Affleck and uh, Rooney Mara, is it? I was gonna say that with um oh I wasn't I wasn't done making my oh. point, Lance. <laughs> all I was saying was that like like out of all things, the man is a great director, and I feel like the, the the taking something of such grand nature, such as uh like a a high high concept fantasy, and also making it for fifteen million dollars is just outstanding. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Oh no, yeah. I yeah. Yeah, the, the movie looks way more expensive than $15 million. They they stretched every dollar across the screen so many times. Oh, yeah. Like, no, it looks this, amazing. Yeah, it's very clear. This movie, like, whatever, like, the budget of 15 mil does not show on the screen. I suspected it probably would have cost about 30 mil to make. Or even, yeah, yeah or even more. Sorry, Liam, what were you going to say? Um, I was going to say that, like, uh, with uh, David Lowry, even when he's uh, working for something like Disney he still manages to get his own voice and do his own thing across. Like even in, uh, I was like the only other, I mean, obviously the only other film I've seen of his is Pete's dragon, 
but that's also the only Disney live action remake that's come out that I liked. Right. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is that you had a strong enough voice there to really carry it. And it helped that he wasn't working for a working on a project which there was a huge amount of writing on. Right. Yeah, like Peace I feel Dragon's like, not super notable. Yeah, like I mean, this might be probably the biggest based on my understanding, the biggest film uh, uh Lowry has made. In terms of but scope, it, sure. Yeah, yeah, but it's also fairly small in regards to uh a lot in a lot of the ways it comes across. Yeah, because like they do a they do a pretty good job of like implying that this is a very big world and like a lot is going on. But you're very you're laser focused in on Gawain and his mission and his like life. I would like and, to just drag, uh, just so people at at home know what Dave Lowry looks like, or David Lowry. I'm just gonna drag him onto our screen so that you can see this. Uh, he's just right in the middle of our screen right now. That guy loves making weird shit. You can t- <laughs> look at that mustache. That man loves Arthurian legends. You just fucking know it. I'm sorry, yeah, Lucas. Sorry, yeah, carry for on. sure. All good. Um, one thing that bothered me a little bit, it's extremely minor and very stupid. Um, but one thing that bothered me a little bit is in that scene right before, uh, going gets robbed. Um, he, he meets the guy who robs him and he, he's like, uh, trying to extort some money out of him, like for information and such. And I'm, I'm sitting there and like, in, they're in front of this big battlefield where there's a bunch of dead soldiers and whatnot. And the guy's like desperately trying to get money out of, uh, Gawain. And I'm like... I saw like four swords in the background. Just go grab those and sell those. Swords are fucking expensive. <laughs> but that's go not get how, them. That's not how he wants to make his skrill. He wants to rob people. Yeah. Mm. He's chasing his passions. Yeah. Like I said, very he's stupid. He's chasing his but... passions. Um, yeah. <laughs> but mom, I want to um, rob people when I'm older. Oh, sorry. Um, but mother, I wanteth to robbeth people. <laughs> And well, also, they and also they left Gawain's sword behind after they robbed him. Like that's the most valuable thing he had. <laughs> um, one thing I was going to uh, bring up, just with like uh, this as an adaptation, which is just because again I've talked with a few people and heard a few things. A lot of people were re- a little confused about the setup at the beginning, uh, particularly with um, a lot of people didn't because the movie doesn't straight up say that um, the king at the beginning is supposed to be Arthur. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of just assumed as much because based on what I knew of a play, uh, Galen is, um, uh, what is it, is uh, Arthur's nephew. I believe so, some some yeah. relation like that, yeah. Yeah, but like, exactly. uh, apparently a lot of uh, audiences were lost on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if like, you even look at the uh, uh, the Wikipedia page, for example, uh, I believe his he is referred to as King. That's it, yeah, Sean just, King just as king. the King. But mm-hmm. it, I think... I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be King Arthur. It's yeah, not, it's not I, very I, clear. I would say so. Yeah, it's not very clear. Um, it's the same thing. Who who is King Arthur's wife? Uh, what's her name? Gwen. Guinevere. Gwendolyn. Guinevere. Guinevere. That's it. Yeah, because even when you hover over, like you're, I'm on the Wikipedia page, obviously, as I showed on the screen. Um, but if you hover over Sean Harris as the king, it just says it links you to King Arthur. <laughs> so like yeah and i think i think they didn't make a big deal about king arthur being in it because it's not his story exactly yeah I feel and like i think it... i think i think that it, i think it might have backfired a little bit for some people because some people got hung up on whether or not that was king arthur right but I, I think i think generally i think that it was a good choice to not really say much about him yeah i feel like that would have overshadowed the uh, le- uh was it just how lesser known of a myth this is at least to most mainstream audiences yeah for sure mm-hmm. And, you do, uh, and that's just kind of something you run the risk of when adapting it, when you adapt something like this. 
Yeah. So real quick, uh, we should mm-hmm. probably touch on the performances um, because oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I was I was I was saying on break uh, how I feel like this episode might be a not necessarily like a, a barn burner, but it'll be maybe a little bit shorter because this, we're t- probably more doing like a review than we are like an analysis of yeah. of the Green Knight. But obviously, we're going to talk about it a little bit here and there. I'm but, assuming we'll talk about interpretations at some point. But of course. Yeah. Even then, that's sub- something that can naturally come up with reviewing something like this. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that uh, so, so some of the performances in this movie, I think every single person is really doing like just putting on an A-game performance. I, th- mm-hmm. I s- Specifically, Dev Patel. Dev Patel is okay. great in he, this movie. Yeah, he's and outstanding. You, and he's always been a pretty hit or miss actor for me. Like, I mean, in some things, I don't know if it's as much of a movie that he's in, but I don't like. But like there are times where I just find I've seen him where I've just found him kind of lifeless. Yeah. But here, like, uh, I feel like, uh, uh, what is it? Like, he still has kind of like he's still very fairly reserved in a lot of scenes. But like he has but he's able to do the thing here where you can see what where you can see there's a lot going on behind his eyes. Mm-hmm. which I felt like really added to the performance. Mm-hmm. I, I really loved his, uh, like the scenes where he's very obviously afraid. Yes. Like I really loved his performances in those scenes because that's largely, that that's 100% what the uh, original poem was about, was it's, it's about overcoming fear and like being courageous, brave, etc. Um, and that's to, to, to an extent that that's what this uh, movie is about as well. Um and he he really really sold the fear. Yeah, especially when he's when, all tied up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after he gets robbed, right? I yeah. was even thinking when he gets fed up or whatnot, and like uh, the fox is warning him not to go there. Yeah, and like the fox finally starts talking, he's just shouting back at it like I'm going. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't like, ask for you to be here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like I thought he really sold that really well, which mm-hmm. would be which is such a hard thing to do. Like whenever I see actors have to talk to an animal that probably. That isn't there, like just accept the premise of I'm talking to a talking animal, an like an, an animal that 100% is a tennis ball on a hockey stick. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like because I mean, uh, I think back to like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia movies, which again are very different things. But like as good as a lot of the, those kid actors are there, like the or like who they have there, you can tell that there uh, there's something off about them talking to uh, accepting the fact that I'm supposed to be talking to a. Uh, to a uh, not anthro but like a sentient beaver yeah yeah mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. eye lines aren't right and just like trying to imagine something that obscure is it can be quite difficult for people yeah. um, or even yeah. if like uh, the actor himself ha- uh, feels silly about the premise exactly yeah uh, i don't yeah, think and a lot, I, all, all that stuff comes through on screen a lot in this movie less so it, yeah exactly and i i feel like deb patel really understood the kind of movie that he was performing in and knew mm-hmm. the significance of of Gawain being or having to gain the the courage and having to gain the the notoriety and having to get and earn it in a lot of ways, right? Like mm-hmm. because, uh, like the movie it initially starts with him basically just being a a, a, a slum dog millionaire. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> like uh, almost kind of like just just like. I don't want to see a deadbeat, but just like a man of his time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. he's he's sleeps and brothels. He's a, he's, he, yeah, he's he's a he's a early, he's in his early he's like an, a basic early early twenties person. And if right? if like, if we were, all, I mean, if we were in our early twenties in medieval times, I would be dead for one. But two, um, <laughs> uh, uh, 
we'd probably be yeah hanging out in brothels and just chilling you know and uh, yeah they had there's a pretty good joke at the beginning when they're like the first time you see Gawain, he's he's in the brothel and then he goes to the church and then one of the sisters is just like Weren't you supposed to get mass? He's like, I was at mass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it my kind of mass. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he's, and he starts out just kind of being a, a selfish brat and then mm-hmm. um, is given this opportunity uh, to strike down the Green Knight, right? So mm-hmm. that's basically the premise of the movie is... Yeah, uh, so uh, for, for a little bit more in-depth explanation about the Christmas game, basically the Green Knight shows up uh, and, and says, hey, uh, I want to play a game. We're, we're in Saw now. Uh, and then he, he, he pulls out this like big green ax and he says to the, the round table, uh, whoever, uh, lands a strike on me can have my ax, but in one year we'll have to come to my chapel and I will land the same blow on them. Right. Uh, and in the poem, uh, Gawain, uh, is thinking he's being real clever, uh, and accepts the challenge and cuts the green knight's head off. Then the Green Knight stands up, picks up his head, and he's like, "See you in you see you in a year, bitch." And then, <laughs> <laughs> you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> and then leaves, and that's basically what happens. Just, uh, but but in the movie, it's more uh, the Green Knight like presents his neck, right? Yeah, kind of kind of sets like, him up. Yeah, kind of sets him up to be like, "Do this," yeah. and so he, yeah, like, he's yeah. kind of a bloodthirsty uh, kind of creature yeah, in a way. Kind of thinks that uh, uh, what is it in like. Uh, uh, Gale Winter Gwen feels like he's kind of taking advantage of a fool for uh, just standing there and letting him right. land the blow. Yeah, I think what um, also good. I think what also adds to his character in this scene and like or for his setup, like him just kind of like sitting around or whatnot. There is the fact that like I got a reading of like uh, his like the relationship with the rest of his family is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, given like uh, his uncle's the king, right. and like uh, isn't it like his mom a witch or something? Uh yeah, but, uh, but I don't think I don't right, think yeah. he knows. I don't think Debatel knows that, does he? Or well, Gabe, he has that confrontation Gwen, outside of. Uh, I mean, after the fact of when the game is introduced, he has that confrontation outside of uh, that bar. Well, because it's kind of played out in the movie that they conjure the Green Knight to come to them. That's kind of what what I gathered from that. I could be wrong on my interpretation of that, but that's what I gathered was that you know Gwyn's mother was a part of this ritual to bring the green knight to them as a way to maybe offer a sacrifice or offer something of, of that nature to, you know, maybe remove them from this winter or this hell or whatever. Cause it's pretty gray, but I mean, yeah. that's just what it looks like. Yeah. yeah and like, you notice how, uh, and I see like going, uh, uh, trying to uh, like going to land the blower, whatnot, or being the one to go do it is almost kind of like a uh, pride or self worth type of a thing, right? Almost, yeah, because like he hasn't seen he has a scene with the king right before that, where the king's telling him basically like, "Hey, you're gonna do great things. Like, you don't have any stories to tell yet, right?" Because right. um, he's looking around, he's seen all the knights, and obviously the the knights at the round table. I like probably like Lancelot's in there, and then etc. etc. Uh, so he's probably feeling pretty insecure and looking for a chance to prove himself. And then he's given a chance. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry. <laughs> we all got really excited on that one. Yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> sorry, just moving along in, in terms of just like performances and whatnot. Like I think Alicia Vikander, um, also puts on a really, really good performance because I couldn't even mm-hmm. tell it was her. I, I couldn't, yeah. you know, which is, which is so, odd because she's, with- she has a very particular look to her. And I could just mm-hmm. barely tell that it was her. Well, the second time, I thought it was a lot. When the second character she plays, it's a lot more clear. 
Oh, right. Um, well, because the first time she kind of has a different haircut and she's in like a bit of a kind of an unusual wardrobe for her. Right. Well, she plays, mm-hmm. what is it, SL, who I imagine she's the, yeah. the woman in the brothel, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. And then she plays the lady who is Joel Edgerton, who we'll talk about in a minute as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she she's really great. And, and just the way that she, I feel like she fit in very, very well. Like the, her look, her, her um, way of speaking, just like her performance just in general fit. And, and same thing with Dev Patel. Like it's, it's funny how we get a, a character oh, oops, sorry, who, who like Deb Patel is not, uh, well, he's American to my knowledge, right? He's British. Sorry. He's British, but he's, you know, he's a person of color and he's playing against and is the nephew of a white guy. <laughs> right. So it's just funny how they, how this is a movie where you don't need to have a white person playing a white role and like you mm-hmm. can have all these these abstract pe- or not abstract but you can have these non-traditional um uh roles being played by non-traditional actors right or at least in terms of hollywood's eyes and you know what i'm trying yeah, to like say. Where you have a relatively diverse palette yeah exactly mm-hmm. um and also i i, I want to make one note uh while people of color in like medieval europe were definitely rare they're not as rare as some people lead you to believe. Oh, so yeah, I'm the racist right now. <laughs> that's, it's very true. It's no, uh, yeah, but like also the, the I'm ignorant. Fuck. Okay. Well, they're, they're also fictional characters, but true. Uh, well, some people will say like there's like there there was never any people of uh, color in like medieval England. That's not true. Right. Like yeah. that's, I didn't that's I didn't mean it that true. way. That's not what yeah. I. Oh no no, oh, I, no I, was, I, ever... I was just I was just adding on to what you're saying. Yeah, I'm ignorant. Yeah, like, I know it's fine. It's fine. No, it's <laughs> like there's a reason why if you read uh, was it why Othello uh, is uh. Well, because the story of Othello like takes place uh, roughly around the time as this, or a little bit after. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the big things in there is that his uh, the character of Othello is like Northern African. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So and, it wasn't. And... Com- so what? it wasn't entire. It wasn't like. It's not like uh, the whole culture was like a melt. It was, it was like a cultural melting pot, but like not everybody was completely like uh, uh, Snow White. Oh, okay. Fair. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. And also like the idea, like the concept of race as we know it now didn't really appear to like the 15th or the 16th or 17th century, I think. And like, like back in the Roman Empire, for example, uh, the Roman Empire spanned over a lot of different areas with a lot of different skin tones. Like they went up into like Northern Europe, they went into the Middle East, they went into Africa. So there's there's definitely people of like lots of different skin tones within like the Roman Empire just in and of itself. Uh, and they like when they talk when they talked about race especially in like the medieval europe they weren't talking about the color of people's skins they were talking about people's what we would refer to as ethnicities oh, okay. like for example the irish were a different race from the english who were a different race from the scottish who were a different race from the french blah 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 uh that like the the idea of race uh was so different back then we can't it's it's, it's really difficult if not impossible to place our ideas of race on their cultures okay but yeah Thank you. But um, I learned yeah. something. What I what I was getting at was that, um, you know, someone like Alicia Vikander or De Patel or even Joel Edgerton or something, like these are or Sean, Sean Harris, you know, Ralph Linderson, like these are people who, that like they just fit. They just they, like mm-hmm. you couldn't think of another better ca- like a a person who could be better casted for these roles, right? Well, mm-hmm. even uh, Guinevere like uh, has a background in um uh, the lady who's playing Guinevere has a background in role in like period uh, specific uh, Kate, uh A24 TV things like she was on uh, Game of Thrones where she played uh oh. Catelyn Stark's sister. Uh, oh whose shit, name I didn't even recognize me. her. She's in the, um, she's in uh, the Lisa, Lisa, I think. Lisa. 
she was also in uh the the witch from what i understand she's in the last okay. jedi yeah oh I, I didn't. I didn't even recognize her. I've seen her I so mean, many uh, times. I mean, uh, Sean. <laughs> she's the first uh, and, order officer in the last Jedi. Oh, okay. She's yeah. And there. Sean Harris is in. Uh, I mean, uh, one of his big claims was, uh, "I was it to, uh, I was it to film was uh, the Macbeth adaptation with uh, Fassbender." Oh right. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah. That was a movie I always meant to see, but I never did. But anyway, uh, that's not what this episode's about. Um, nope. But no, I thought I uh, was the only person who kind of stuck out to me, probably because he was the biggest name there in the thing, was probably Joel Egerton. Oh, yeah. Or mm. Egerton. Uh, just because, like, if, I guess just when he, when he first showed up, I was like, oh, it's Joel Egerton. But, like, uh, that's not to put down his performance. It was just more so, but he was the first person I recognized really quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, once he uh, started talking and moved around, I thought he uh, was it fell into the role very, very well. Right. Mm -hmm. I always forget he played Uncle Owen. <laughs> yeah, just, just, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, Joel Egerton has a face that I, I I have trouble recognizing for some reason. I know I but, hear the name all the time. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's in those movies. And yeah, yeah and yeah. like and like when he when he speaks, I can generally like uh kind of work out it's him. But like he actually played oh. he actually played Gawain or Gawain in King Arthur. Oddly oh, really? enough, Joel Edgerton did. Yeah, oddly yeah, enough, oh, like cool. is this like a Clive Owen one? Or uh, I believe so. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, hmm. just kind of a yeah, weird, it, weird this, connection. This movie's really well cast. I would agree. Like every everybody fits so well. Everybody knew what they were doing, what kind of movie they were in. Like everyone's on the same page, and that, that's also a sign of a good director as well. Yeah, for one sure. I was really happy to see uh, her finally get to do something a little different was uh, the girl from Solo who played uh, mm -hmm. Winifred, because she was yeah. earlier this year. I also saw her on uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where uh, outside of thinking she was the worst part of that show or one of the worst parts is the fact that like she was just playing the same role that she played in solo again, like the same kind of character, same type of thing. Aaron. Well, here, uh, what Aaron Kellyman. Yeah. Where here, she finally got to do something a little different. Um, and even then I thought she was really convincing. She even had like some, uh, uh was it like some comedic moments or, yeah. that, or at <laughs> yeah. least that I thought were kind of funny, like the whole, don't touch me. You're a knight. You should know better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, or I just want my head. Yeah, I just which I don't know why I'm laughing. Maybe it's because it's such an absurd line to hear. But yeah, yeah, I just want my head. <laughs> oh, also, by the way, that scene when he's going through the water and it's like all the reds oh and dark blues, Trippy's like yeah, so good. It's gorgeous. Yeah, some of the cinematography in this movie is just outstanding. Um, Back and shooting underwater is not easy, and especially mm. lighting underwater is not easy. So I was I was yeah, the way was they get the impressed. the background entirely red basically yeah it's oh, it's gorgeous well it I is. mean that was something that I said after we left the theater too was that this movie is very theatrical and I don't mean that in terms of it being like a movie I mean that mm -hmm. being like it feels and is lit in a lot of ways as if it were a stage production you know like yeah, some like some very... of the lighting it like even specifically in the in the beginning when uh, I believe it's supposed to be um, Merlin um, has the the red halo over his head. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's and it just highlights a very specific portion of, of him or the or the room around them starts to change color. And like those, those are things that you do in stage productions to yeah. emphasize emphasize certain things. You don't really do those things in film unless yeah. something is occurring on stage in a film. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it and was uh, it was a lot of parts of it were very uh, 
I think is operatic for right word. Sure. Yeah. I think I think I think that's 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 an appropriate uh, description. Yeah. yeah operatic. Because like a lot of it, there's a lot of really wide shots too. Mm-hmm. So it, that that adds to the whole like uh, theatrical and operatic angle y'all y'all were going for. Y'all. And f- like <laughs> some of it, uh, like just from seeing recordings of some of her plays. In some ways, parts of this movie kind of. The best way, if I could describe the way I saw this movie as, it was kind of like, uh, uh, like a medieval Blade Runner 2049 in sure. the way like parts of how it's directed meets a Julie Taymor play. Sure. Like seeing recordings of some of her plays that she would do like, like Titus or whatnot, like the very operatic kind of like surreal images. Yeah. Yeah. I could, yeah, mm-hmm. I can get behind that for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very well constructed film in pretty much all, a- all assets of its, of its production. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the costumes are fantastic. They're very, I uh, mm-hmm. like Lucas, you'd probably be a better gauge of whether or not they were period appropriate, but they, to uh, my knowledge, really, they are. Fairly, fairly, fairly appropriate. Uh, I wasn't really, to be fair, I, I, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. So nothing drew my eye. Oh, perfect. As to being inaccurate. <laughs> that means, um, that means people they did wore, a good job. Yeah. Pe- people didn't wear a lot of colors in the movie generally, but yeah. like people back then would have worn colorful clothing it i mean for a movie called the green knight and the poster is red and there's not a lot of green in the movie. <laughs> red and yellow yeah yeah there's <laughs> it's not I really also, the focus of the, of the movie i also mm-hmm. will say if a green knight himself looked great oh he's fantastic like he, uh just he did every like even just uh like i'm assuming it was makeup or prosthetics but like even just the way his face or mouth would move mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i can't imagine how hard it would be to act through something like that and or the, even yeah. just like the guys in two scenes you know, mm-hmm. and and th- that's I think that's something that a lot of people who are going into this movie blind probably would not know is that mm-hmm. it's not about him. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not about the Green Knight. It's not about, about the Gwyn. Green Knight whatsoever. It's about Gwyn and just how uh, he his journey to attempt to become more brave. And you know, mm-hmm. um, I told the I told these guys after we got out of the theater that my interpretation of a lot of what was going on was that it's more so about like a fool's journey and what it means to be foolish. Um, mm-hmm. and how a, a single foolish decision can really ruin your life. Um, but in a way, that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with gaining your bravery, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like like Gwyn's um, untimely nature at the end of the film, which I have come around on, Lucas. I thought... Oh, <laughs> oh spoilers. Uh, just FYI, spoilers for the end of the movie. Uh, Gwyn definitely goes to the Green Knight. They meet up, and the the movie ends with the Green Knight running his finger across Gwyn's neck and the, or throat and then saying, now off with your head. Mm-hmm. You know? And when I yeah. saw that, I thought he was saying, now get out of here, scamp. <laughs> no, he cuts off his fucking head. <laughs> yeah, that was my interpretation too, which is uh, a departure from the poem, which yeah. is, uh, if, that, if that is the case, um, which again, my, it is my interpretation. I can also see the other way around as well. Yeah. Uh, but it seemed, it seemed a little too aggressive to me for it to be uh like good job now go away yeah because in 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 the poem and there's also this whole thing with this uh uh green belt that he has Hmm. um that he's told will protect him from all harm and there's this this kind of incredible uh sequence um where he kind of has like a flash forward near the end of the movie which is my by and large my favorite part of that whole it's great where he's like kneeling in front of the green knight waiting for the green knight to take the blow and then he gets up and runs because he can't do it. He's too he's too scared. And he lives out the rest of his life. Um, and in this absolutely incredible shot when like everything's falling out, falling apart around him, 
he takes off the belt he takes off the belt and his head just falls off yeah oh. yeah that be- was because, be- so cool did you sorry did you explain that as long as he wears the belt he cannot be harmed I don't he know can't. He, he can't be struck down. He can't be killed, sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And but yeah, like Lucas said, as soon as he removes the belt, his head just like rolls down. <laughs> yeah, after this whole like thing of like how it shows that he be grew, he moved on to become a not very successful king. Yeah. He mm-hmm. uh, screwed over his woman. He mm-hmm. uh, like as essentially got his, got his son killed. He got his son killed. His entire kingdom is against him now. And the mm-hmm. way that they made Dev Patel look old in that mm-hmm. that was believable. Like, yeah. <laughs> I imagine that's what he's that what he would that's what he would look like, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and then it flashes back to him at the chapel where uh, where he he finally takes off the belt and tells the knight to take the swing. Yeah, uh, and then the knight says, "Good job." Runs his finger across his throat. Now off with your head. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where in in the original poem, that is kind of obviously that whole extended thing isn't in there and Gawain never actually really shows any fear. He flinches uh, the first couple. It just says flinches. It doesn't say like, cause in the movie he like, like crawls across the ground on his, like on his hands and calling knees. Stop. And like... Yeah. Yeah. In in the, uh, in the poem, he just flinches a couple times uh, before the knight just like lets his ax rest on his, uh, the back of his neck and like gives him a little cut and says, congratulations. You passed the test or whatever. Mm. Uh, and then reveals himself to be the Lord. Uh, whom he spent a couple of days with earlier in the story. Right. How does he reveal himself? In the exchange himself? of winnings. What was that? Like, how did that, like, because the movie... Oh, portray- uh, Black Magic. Um, oh, I see. Uh, which I believe was the work of um, Arthur's half-sister, whom, whose name ex- escapes me right now. Uh, she's like the kind of the evil sorceress uh, Morgane or something like that. Morgana. 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 That's it. Yeah. That's it. I've I've heard so many variations on that name in different fantasy stories. It's that name is lost to me now, but um, I think that's what it was. Uh, or Morgies or Morgie. The queen. Yeah, of... and it's also it's also a very old story. So yeah. there's probably a lot of different uh, uh, spellings uh, and pronunciations of the name. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if so. If uh, how 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 was it? I would. I'm sure the pronunciation has changed a lot over the over the years, and how uh, language and linguistics have changed with the way uh, society or humanity has evolved. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And also, and also, fun fact: uh, Arthur has a child with his half sister. Uh. That's and that that child is Mordred, who is, ends up being the undoing of King Arthur. But anyway, <laughs> huh. what do you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that we all liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I think I liked it a lot. I, I, I like it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, as of now, it's probably my favorite film I've seen this so far this year. I'd probably mm-hmm. argue that as well. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a movie you probably shouldn't watch at home. I'll tell you that much. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, unless you got like a pretty big screen. Yeah, unless you have a huge screen. Having said that, uh, a twenty-four. You, I mean, you've probably missed this already. Just saying, because uh, this episode is coming out on uh, the twentieth, uh, so uh, this has already passed because this is happening on the seventh of the eighteenth. Um, but A twenty four is doing a virtual screening of the movie with Q and A by Dave Lowry. Oh. Um, so that's neat. So maybe we could watch that again. But <laughs> that's just an us thing. That wouldn't be a you thing. So fuck you, audience member. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so it's not really a movie you should watch at home. I would argue, unless you have a very very large screen and a really good sound system. So go mm-hmm. go try and see this in the theater. Honestly. Also, yeah, the sound the sound the sound design is a lot of fun, especially in the scenes with the Green Knight. I can hear like wood creaking every time he moves. Yeah. It's great. Mm-hmm. Or even just like even the way you would talk. Yeah. 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 
I, th- I think, uh, like, I mean, Lucas and Liam know, I mean, in terms of who knows the most, it definitely goes Lucas, Liam, me, in terms of who knows the most about, like, Arthurian legend. And I and, and to my knowledge, it's it's accurate in its portrayal, not necessarily in its telling. Um, so... I if think it very much uh, keeps to the story, like the the heart of the story. Yeah, yeah. Which is nice if you're looking for something like that. Then by all means, because because mm. in terms of in terms of like you know the like Liam was saying the Clive Owen King Arthur movie or like um, anything. Like, uh, what's the his guy name? Ritchie the one? Guy Ritchie one, for example. Um, those like I'm sorry that that's not that's not that an accurate portrayal. I think no. I think, <laughs> and I don't mean I mean this in in terms of it being a little bit more of a um respectful uh retelling of mm-hmm. of those pieces of work yeah it, fe- it felt it felt very much like a chivalric romance uh mm-hmm. in in that uh chivalric romances are fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> a I lot of weird gonna, shit happens in them i think why this is successful is uh, i was going to quote something uh patrick h Willems once said when talking about uh adaptations of robin hood or king arthur which is um he said the reason why that last Robin Hood movie sucked or why uh, Guy Ritchie's King Arthur sucked is because I uh, was is because Vervey's drastically trying to be these fresh new and I uh, was a different uh, takes. And he said, like, nobody's going to remember your nobody's going to care about your brand new takes, your brand new exciting takes. if they don't remember the original. I uh, was of a last traditional one that came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Like Lucas and I had talked about, like, if we want to if if Hollywood wants to do an honest to God, like King Arthur movie, just adapt uh once in future king like as straight as you can yeah, mm-hmm. it'd probably work better as like like we just was saying uh before uh, the a show, series as a series yeah probably yeah. i um, think so that that book is pretty weird i love it though <laughs> like basically the second half of the book from what i recall anyway it's been about five years since i read it is just arthur merlin and a bunch of talking animals sitting around uh discussing the meaning of life <laughs> <laughs> that animated series that'd be cool <laughs> honestly uh, honestly a bakshi series would have been perfect yeah. for once a once a future king maybe we can convince but... him to come out of retirement and do it i thought he was yeah. dead <laughs> i definitely thought he was dead i honestly i, I thought maybe maybe he is yeah. but i don't know anyway i think that's a good spot for us unless you guys have anything else you want to say about yeah. the, uh, the uh there were some minor there were some minor changes to the um the exchange of winnings uh part where like uh it, it's fairly similar in like scope and in, in theme but like uh instead of the money shot um <laughs> if you know what i mean yes uh i know exactly what you mean uh, the 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 lady came to Gawain in the night and acted seductively uh but he refused her advances um but because he didn't want to offend her he accepted a kiss from her uh, um and the okay. next day uh he uh kissed the lord basically in a way to like return that to him <laughs> uh, okay okay is how that worked and uh then it, ha- it happened over the course of three three nights i think because the next night she came to him again uh and he accepted two kisses and the third night uh he accepted three kisses and again the the day he would return those k- kisses to the lord i see so okay. lots lots of gay kisses in the original one yeah it's not <laughs> like uh he uh you know comes too fast <laughs> <laughs> you're not in that because you don't have enough stamina yeah exactly. <laughs> pretty much it. liam do you have anything else you want to mention uh not too much else um again i had a feeling i was gonna like this movie but i didn't think i was gonna like it as much as i did yeah um fair. again due to my limited familiarity with um i was a dave lowry's uh or david david lowry's filmography 
Um, and uh, just uh, though I have a working knowledge, my knowledge of a lot of uh, of the Arthurian legends being pretty rusty these days. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, this movie pretty much hit every one of like uh, my avant-garde sensibilities, um, and like uh, pretty much like kind of and just made me think about like just how happy I am when I really get to see a, re- a truly great movie like this. Yeah, for sure. It, it, yeah, movies like this kind of come once or once once a year, essentially. Like it, mm-hmm. like every year we have like one that's like we all like quite a lot i think yeah not always not every year but i mean this is one of those years where i feel like we all needed a movie like this to really Mm -hmm. like dissect and kind of talk about a little bit more at great length instead of just how we talk about things in the ingestion anyway that is us talking about the green knight for 46 minutes so (laughs) um thank you very much for listening to that or watching that on your youtube screens or phones or whatever um but when we come back from our break we are going to play cool wars fuck you guys timed that perfectly all right thank you very much (laughs) we are going to be right back after a break can i can i can i ask a question now yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know how to shoot a P90, so I probably wouldn't be successful. So the both of you are you're walking through the woods, mm-hmm. right? and there's no one around, <laughs> and your phone is dead. Oh God! Is oh oh out of the, cor- oh, okay. out of the corner I, of I your eye? I knew what you were doing before you even started talking. <laughs> out of the corner of your eye, okay. you spot him. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Thundercast. Uh, we are going to do another exciting edition of Cool Wars. Cool Wars. Cool Wars. Cool Wars is a game we like to play at the end of every single episode of the Thundercast in which we pit characters up against each other in a battle of coolness. Uh, This is based off a list that is entirely arbitrary and a list of our own making. Uh, Again, this is not a battle of physical uh, feats or physical fighting. It is purely a battle of cool. Liam, who do we have on the docket today? Uh, Today we've got another arbitrary uh, pairing. Um, Clarice Starling from the, from the Hannibal book slash uh, the movie Silence of the Lambs, which will probably be be, go- be going off. We'll base of. this mostly off of Silence um, of the yeah. Lambs, yeah. And uh, the Xenomorph, otherwise known as the Alien from the Alien Saga. That is correct. <laughs> yes. The Alien. The Alien. Yeah. Um, so, Liam, you want to set us up with eight minutes on the clock? Already done. All right. Yeah. And here we go. Okay. So, Clarice is. A pretty good detective, you know, all things considered. Um, aside, well, I mean, not all things considered. She is, like, a very notable and, and well, probably not respected, but she's a notable um, uh, detective. Um, she's a competent young, uh, I was a young, uh, I was a uh, trooper's wrong word, but essentially. Like agent? Uh, yeah, agent yeah. in a. I was uh, say, man- troop, trooper's demeaning. <laughs> yeah, in yeah. a. Uh, well, no, because in some states they go by, uh, they call them, uh, they call uh, what she does oh, troopers. Okay. Yeah. I know, but like, I, it's, it's just like, you're a trooper, sport. You know, that's yeah. what it kind of felt like. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, either way, um, she uh, I was, but she uh, is very good at her job, but she's in a uh, very male-dominated field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, she gets reminded of that a lot with advancements from, uh, was it from her coworkers or just uh, her uh, ja- her Jack Crawford looking kind of looking down on her. Right. Yeah, and... Uh, the xenomorph is a uh, bug. One of the one of the <laughs> scariest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. It's essentially a parasite, you know that that outgrows mm-hmm. its its body and its shell, and mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, I uses uses humans as basically eggs. Yeah, yeah <laughs> essentially cocoons. Yeah. 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 No, and I mean, I think what what's most uncomfortable. I didn't understand it as much as a kid, but the whole thing is essentially the whole idea of the xenomorph is essentially a rape allegory. Yeah, basically. Like yeah. the thing essentially impregnates you, and then uh, it's off. Uh, was it? Then it just, well, after being impregnated by uh, a face hugger, pops out of your fucking chest, and then just proceeds to eat whatever's in sight, and then uses your body as a. Uh, uh, was it to build a hive? Yeah. Um, which, it's true. yeah. Anyway, I don't really have much to say about either of these people. Yeah. However, <laughs> um, I can tell you which one I like a lot more, but I don't think that's a battle of coolness. Um, no. <laughs> well, Clarice Starling regularly stares serial killers in the face and is fine about it for the most part. Yeah, pretty much. So that, so she like spends a lot of time in the, in that movie talking to uh, a fucking cannibal. Well, she and only spends like, like eight minutes of the movie talking to him. That's right. That's true. And that's true. right towards the be- notice how right towards the beginning she gets a little scared and tries to leave, but then she turns back around and just doesn't back down each time she's talking to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even she's though very brave, and even yeah, when she's in in the Buffalo Bill pit, you know, mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, she's I'm- obviously scared, but she's doing it. Yeah, she's doing it, and, and she knows she knows that you know she might not survive, but she's willing to to fight for what's going on there. Sorry, Liam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, damn it, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, <laughs> chug it, chug it. Xenomorph, the xenomorph's uh, design is really fucking cool. It's terrifying. It's yeah, it was, it was designed to be something extremely inhuman, which is kind of funny because it's still like humanoid, fairly human shape. Because well, yeah. it was based uh, off the uh, bio uh, mechanical uh, ink paintings by H.R. Geiger. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. And it has uh, its 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 blood is like acid, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. It so, has a jaw within its jaw. Yeah, a, a yeah. Ma- mouth within its <laughs> yeah. mouth would be a probably yeah. more accurate depiction of that. But it has another jaw that comes out of its mouth. Liam, you want to pull that one off your off your uh, wall behind you and show on screen? Well, it's it's too small, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I I just want everybody to know that Liam's background is not a green screen; that it is in fact yeah. real. Uh, <laughs> mine too. Uh, anyway. Mine's a green screen. Yeah, no, Lucas is. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas actually is. We've decided. Never mind just, that I've actually pulled books off the shelf before. It's that, a green well, screen. Okay. That's in the past. We 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 tell you to put things in specific spots before. Right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, Lucas is actually an e-girl. Uh, he's totally. He's yeah. Totally fixed, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, do ASMR now. Yeah. The 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 xenomorph <laughs> the xenomorph is is capable of sneaking up on people in such a way that is unfounded you know for such something that's so large and quite noisy quite frankly like the the xenomorph mm-hmm. is constantly like you know for yeah, those of you really that in- made weird noises not really until it strikes though like uh, true yeah and uh there's also well, once you start hearing that it's too late yeah yeah, yeah pretty much generally and the way it bl- and it's since it's mostly dark it blends in pretty well to like the shadows of a ship at least in, at mm-hmm. least in the first two movies like yeah <laughs> i mean i could generally see it in the first but <laughs> yeah, fair enough. um maybe it's because maybe because maybe maybe because maybe it's because the first time i watched it it was like in high definition yeah already right. like it was already blu-ray and like i'm like oh there it is i see it it's right <laughs> behind her look <laughs> clarice however is a mm-hmm. human being and those can be yes. spotted very easily <laughs> so I think the battle of them being able to be noticed in stealth. Uh, sorry, it's a tie on that one, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. It's a tie on that one. It's a good thing we're not doing stealth wars. 
Uh, yeah, then that, yeah, that would be a. That's se- that's season two of Cool War Stealth Wars. Uh, <laughs> just who's stealthier? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, dumb show. <laughs> I mean, the big difference this is, is that this one... this is a fucking dumb show. <laughs> uh, the biggest difference between these two is that one is a human being with human emotions, and the other is an animal or a beast that you can't re- that you can't reason with. Yeah, that's fair. That's true. Which that's is. True. My, in my opinion, makes me question how much it counts as a character, but yeah, I guess. Yeah, one's more of like a uh, a foil for the characters kind of bounce off of, right? Another mm-hmm. one is actually like a, a human being which can portray their morals and their values and whatnot that you can then decide whether or not those are um, within your range. Um, the alien is just like the xenomorph is just eat pray love you know that's just like, they, that's what it they is. operate like they operate like ants in an anthill where yeah. it's all about the colony and uh just surviving mm-hmm. i would yeah that's a funny that's a okay i think we completely just blew our own game out of the water because is the xenomorph a character or is it more of just like a force of nature because yeah. well, like, it's not a person it's um, not a person and i don't just mean that in human sense but like it, it, it doesn't seem to have like actual independent like thought like it, it obviously it, it operates on instinct. Yeah. So like even really in the first movie, it person. starts building a hive out of a people's bodies, mainly because it's like what happens when you leave, when you have a big ant that's just separate from a colony, it's just mm-hmm. going to do what it knows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's exactly. not, not I, I think it, I don't know if, it, yeah, the alien, especially in the first one, I would, I don't think would be really a character. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's more of a force of nature that they're going mm-hmm. against. Um, and yeah, then, it, it's, it's a living obstacle. A, a living obstacle yes that's a, yeah yeah and then in the second one they're living obstacles yeah <laughs> right. alternate one title minute left guys alternate title for right. alien um <laughs> i feel like i i don't know i feel like i kind of just answered my own question so yeah, yeah. i think i think i have my answer liam uh, yeah i got mine okay ready three, three two, two one, one. Clarice Starling. Yes. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think that kind of fell apart on us in that in, yeah, in, in the, fi- we were like, in the final we re- quarter. We kind of realized one wasn't really a character. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's going to be fun when Clarice goes up against John Wick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, we don't actually, I actually don't know who is going to be going up against anybody else because that was the finale. We should have said that ahead of doing this. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to the Thundercast, where things are incredibly unorganized. But um, that was the finale of the round one of Cool Wars. So we're going to be moving into uh, round two of Cool Wars, where we're going to be taking all the characters that we had already had have already won and uh, pitting them up against each other and seeing yeah. who can get the furthest. So uh, we will let you know um, what the the pairings are and the matchups are probably on our social media page. So you can uh, go ahead and go through that on your own will. Um, okay. This has been the Thundercast for this week. So uh, let me go through the thingamabob. So if you like what you heard, be sure to go and follow us on social media by going to Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube and searching Thunder Lizard Collective. You can also follow us on Twitter by going to Thunder Lizard OG. If you liked what you heard, be sure to tell a friend, share us on social media, um, follow us on Spotify, give us five stars on iTunes, and do the equivalent on any other streaming platform. We have another show hosted by Lucas down there. Lucas is our Thunder Master on Thunder and Dragons, in which Liam, myself, and our friend Dan are guided through godhood. 
Um, we also have a Patreon. So you can go to patreon.com slash thunderlizard. And on that note, I would like to thank our patrons, Kate, Tanya, Scott, Manos, and Owen. If you like the show, be sure to go and follow us on Patreon because you can get the show about five days early in most cases because the show always comes out on a Friday and we always record on a Monday. So you get the show on either a Monday or a Tuesday night. So check that out. And we also do a post show. So there's some more um, fun stuff. And you'll get T&D early. So just fucking, it's wild. Speaking of which, (laughs) um, we actually, do do either of you guys have your, your drawings? Uh, no. No. Okay. Well, I didn't. I don't have one. Oh. Okay. Well. Uh, uh, oh no. The show's falling apart. The show's <laughs> falling apart. Everybody. Just post it on the social media. Uh. Okay. Show. The show fell apart. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> we were so close to the. Actually, end. you could probably see it behind me. Right there. Can you see that? Right Barely. Uh, I, I, I can see that it's there. I'm okay. mirrored, so I can't. Anyway, so there is a drawing drone. Uh, or a portrait, I should say, of our characters from Thunder and Dragons, done by the one and only Ezra Warnock, which we we'll, we will be posting on our uh, Patreon account ahead of time, um, and possibly making some merch out of that, and turning that into its own thing. Coloring pages, it's, it's, it's you know? It's fucking sick. It's dope as fuck. It's so good. Uh, so yeah, this has been the Thundercast for this week. My name is Christian. My name is Lucas. And I'm Liam. See you later. (laughs) You motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, God. What's this? A beefalo. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a cow and a buffalo? (laughs) It is. I told you, man. Cows are evil motherfuckers going off and trying to impregnate buffalo now. (laughs) 